Well, where are we? I wonder if we're not on a fool's errand after all. Edgeworks Entertainment presents... Short Transmissions. Stories to rocket you into space. Tonight, Youth by Isaac Asimov. Part 2. Source, Gutenberg.org. Slim started at the sound of footsteps and brightened when it turned out to be only red. He said, No one's around. I had my eye peeled, you bet. Red said, Shh, look, you take this stuff and stick it in the cage. I've got to scoot back to the house. What is it? Slim reached reluctantly. Ground meat? Holy smokes, have you ever seen ground meat? That's what you should have got when I sent you to the house instead of coming back with that stupid grass. Slim was hurt. How'd I know they don't eat grass? Besides, ground meat doesn't come loose like that. It comes in a cellophane and it isn't that color. Sure, in the city. Out where we grind our own, it's always this color till it's cooked. You mean it isn't cooked? Slim drew away quickly. Red looked disgusted. Do you think animals eat cooked food? Come on, take it. It won't hurt you. I tell you, there isn't much time. Why? What's doing back at the house? I don't know. Dad and your father are walking around, and I think they maybe are looking for me. Maybe the cook told them I took the meat. Anyway, we don't want them coming here after me. Didn't you ask the cook before you took this stuff? Who? That crab? Shouldn't wonder she only let me have a drink of water because Dad makes her. I mean, come on. Take it. Slim took the large glob of meat, though his skin crawled at the touch. He turned down the barn and Red sped away in the direction from which he'd come. He slowed when he approached the two adults, took a few deep breaths to bring himself back to normal, and then carefully and nonchalantly sauntered past. They were walking in the general direction of the barn, he noticed, but not dead on. He said, Hi, Dad. Hello, sir. The industrialist said, Just a moment, Red. I have a question to ask you. Red turned a carefully blank face to his father. Yes, Dad? Mother tells me you were out early this morning. Not really early, Dad, just like a little before breakfast. She said you told her it was because you had been awakened during the night and didn't go back to sleep. Red waited before answering. Should he have told Mom that? Then he said, Yes, sir. What was it that awakened you? Red saw no harm in it. He said, I don't know, Dad. It seemed like thunder, sort of, and like a collision of sort. Could you tell where it came from? It sounded like it was on the hill. That was truthful and useful as well, since the direction was almost opposite in which the barn lay. The industrialist looked at his guest. I suppose it would do no harm to walk toward the hill. The astronomer said, I'm ready. Red watched them walk away, and when he turned, he saw Slim peering cautiously out from among the briars of a hedge. Red waved at him. Come on. Slim stepped out and approached. Did they say anything about the meat? No, I guess they don't know about that. They went down to the hill. What for? Search me. They kept asking about the noise I heard. Listen, did the animals eat the meat? Well, said Slim cautiously, they were sort of looking at it and smelling it or something. Okay, Red said. I guess they'll eat it. 
Holy smokes, they've got to eat something. Let's walk around toward the hill and see what Dad and your father are going to do. What about the animals? They'll be all right. A fellow can't spend all his time with them. Did you give them water? Sure, yeah, they, they drink that. See? Now, come on. We'll look at them after lunch. I tell you what, we'll bring them fruit. Anything will eat fruit. Together they trotted up the rise, red as usual in the lead. The astronomer said, you think the noise was their ship landing? I mean, don't you think it could be? If it were, they may all be dead. And perhaps not, the industrialist frowned. If they have landed and are still alive, where are they? Think about that for a while, he was still frowning. The astronomer said, I don't understand you. They may not be friendly. Oh, no, I've spoken with them. They, You've spoken with them. Call that reconnaissance. What would their next step be? Invasion? But they only have one ship, sir. You know that only because they say so. They may have a fleet. I've told you about their size. Their size wouldn't matter if they had hand weapons that may well be superior to our artillery. That is not what I meant. I had this partly in mind from them first, the industrialist went on. It is for that reason I agreed to see them after I received your letter, not to agree to an unsettling and impossible trade, but to judge their real purpose. I did not count on their invading the meeting. He sighed. I suppose it isn't our fault. You are right in one thing at any rate. The world has been at peace too long. We're losing healthy sense of suspicion. The astronomer's mild voice rose to an unusual pitch, and he said, I will speak. I tell you that there is no reason to suppose they can possibly be hostile. They are small, yes, but that is only important because it is a reflection of the fact that their native worlds are small. Our world has what is, for them, normal gravity, but because of our much higher gravitational potential, our atmosphere is too dense to support them comfortably over sustained periods. For a similar reason, the use of the world as a base for interstellar travel, except for a trade in certain items, is uneconomical. And there are important differences in chemistry of life due to the basic differences in soils. They couldn't eat our food, or we theirs. Well, surely this can all be overcome. They can bring their own food, build domed stations of lowered air pressure, devise specially designed ships. They can. And how glibly you can describe feats that are easy to erase in its youth. It is simply that they don't have to do any of that. There are millions of worlds suitable for them in the galaxy. They don't need this one, which isn't. How do you know? All of this is their information again. This I was able to check independently. I am an astronomer, after all. That is true. Let me hear what you have to say, then, while we walk. Then, sir, consider that for a long time our astronomers have believed that two general classes of planetary bodies exist. First, the planets, which formed at distances far enough from the stellar nucleus to become cool enough to capture hydrogen. These would be large planets rich in hydrogen, ammonia, and methane. We have examples of these in the giant outer planets. The second class would include those planets formed so near the stellar center that the high temperature would make it impossible to capture much hydrogen. And these would be smaller planets, comparatively poorer in hydrogen and richer in oxygen. We know that type very well since we live on one. Ours is the only solar system we know in detail, however, and it has been reasonable for us to assume that these were the only two planetary classes. I take it then that there is another. Yes, there is a super-dense class, still smaller, poorer in hydrogen than the inner planets of the solar system. 
the ratio of occurrence of hydrogen ammonia planets and these super dense water oxygen worlds of theirs over the entire galaxy. And remember that they have actually conducted a survey of significant samples of the galaxy, which we, without interstellar travel, cannot do, is about 3 to 1. This leaves them 7 million super dense worlds of exploration and colonization. The industrialist looked at the blue sky and the green-covered trees among which they were making their way. He said, And worlds like ours? The astronomer said softly, Ours is the first system they have found which contains them. Apparently the development of our solar system was unique and did not follow the ordinary rules. The industrialist considered that. What it amounts to is that these creatures from space are asteroid dwellers. No, no. The asteroids are something else again. They occur, I was told, in one out of eight stellar systems. But they're completely different from what we've been discussing. And how does your being an astronomer change the fact that you are still only quoting the unsupported statements? But they did not restrict themselves to bald items of information. They presented me with a theory of stellar evolution, which I had to accept and which is more nearly valid than anything our own astronomy has ever been able to devise. So if we accept possible lost theories dating from before wars, mind you, their theory had a rigidly mathematical development and it predicted just such a galaxy as they describe. So you see, they have all the worlds they wish. They are not land-hungry, and they're certainly not for our land. Reason would say so, if what you say is true, but creatures may be intelligent and not reasonable. Our forefathers were presumably intelligent, yet they were certainly not reasonable. Was it reasonable to destroy almost all their tremendous civilization in atomic warfare over causes our historians can no longer accurately determine? The industrialists brooded over it. From the dropping of the first atom bomb over the islands, there was only one end in sight, and in plain sight, yet events were allowed to proceed to that end. He looked up and said briskly, Well, where are we? I wonder if we are not on a fool's errand after all. But the astronomer was a little in advance, and his voice came thickly. No fool's errand, sir. Look here. Red and Slim had trailed their elders with the experience of youth, aided by the absorption and anxiety of their fathers. Their view of the final object of the search was somewhere obscured by the underbrush behind which they remained. Red said, Holy smokes, look at that. It's all shiny silver or something. But it was Slim who was really excited. He caught at the other. I know what this is. This is it's a spaceship. That must be why my father came here. He's one of the biggest astronomers in the world, and your father would have to call him if a spaceship landed on his estate. What are you talking about? Dad didn't even know that thing was there. He only came here because I told him. I heard the thunder from here, and besides, there isn't any such thing as a spaceship. I'm sure there is. Look at it. See those round things? They're ports, and you can see the rocket tubes. How do you know so much? Slim was flushed. He said, I read about them. My, my father has books about them and old books from before the wars. Huh. Now I know you're making it up. Books before the wars. My father has to have them. He, he teaches at the university. It's his job. His voice had risen and Red had to pull at him. You want them to hear us? He whispered indignantly. Well, it is too. It's a spaceship. 
Look here, Slim. You mean that that's a ship from another world? It's gotta be. Look at my father going around and around it. He wouldn't be so interested if it was anything else. <laughs> other worlds. Where are there other worlds? Everywhere. How about the planets? Their worlds are just like ours, I mean, some of them, and, and other stars probably have planets. There's probably zillions of planets. Red felt outweighed and outnumbered. He muttered, you're crazy. All right, then, I'll show you. Hey, where are you going? Down there. I'm going to ask my father. I suppose you'll believe it if he tells you. I suppose you believe a professor of astronomy knows what... He had scrambled upright. Red said, hey. You don't want them to see us. We're not supposed to be here. Do you want them to start asking questions and find out about our animals? I don't... I don't care. You said I was crazy. Snitcher, you promised you wouldn't tell. I'm not going to tell, but if they find out themselves, it's your fault for starting an argument and saying I was crazy. I take it back, grumbled Red. Well, all right, you better. In a way, Slim was disappointed. He wanted to see the spaceship at closer quarters. Still, he couldn't break his vow of secrecy, even in spirit, without at least the excuse of personal insult. Red said, It's awfully small for a spaceship. Sure, because it's probably a scout ship. I'll bet Dad couldn't even get into the old thing. So much Slim realized to be true. It was a weak point in his argument. He made no answer. His interest was absorbed by the adults. Red rose to his feet, an elaborate attitude of boredom all about him. Well, I guess we better get going. There's business to do, and I can't spend all day here looking at some old spaceship or whatever it is. We've got to take care of the animals if we're going to be circus folks. That's the first rule with circus folks. They've got to take care of the animals, and he finished virtuously. That's what I aim to do, anyway. Slim said, What for, Red? They've got plenty of meat. Let's watch. There's no fun in watching. Besides, Dad and your father are going away, and I guess it's about lunchtime. Red became argumentative. Look, Slim, we can't start acting suspicious or they're going to start investigating. Like, holy smokes, don't you even read any detective stories? When you're trying to work a big deal without being caught, it's practically the main thing to keep acting just like always. And then they don't suspect anything. That's the first law. <sighs> oh, all right. Slim rose resentfully. At the moment, the circus appeared to him a rather tawdry and shoddy substitute for the glories of astronomy and he wondered how he had come to fall in with Red's silly scheme. Down the slope they went, slim as usual in the rear. The industrialist said, It's the workmanship that gets me. I never saw such construction. What good is it now? said the astronomer, bitterly. There's nothing left. There'll be no second landing. The ship detected life on our planet through accident. Other exploring parties would come no closer than necessary to establish the fact that there were no super-dense worlds existing in our solar system. Well, there's no quarreling with a crash landing. The ship hardly seemed damaged. If only some had survived, the ship might have been repaired. If they had survived, there would be no trade in any sense. They're too different, too disturbing in any case. It's over. They entered the house, and the industrialist greeted his wife calmly. Lunch about ready, dear? I'm afraid not. You see, she looked hesitantly at the astronomer. Is anything wrong? asked the industrialist. Why not tell me? 
I'm sure our guest won't mind a little family discussion. Pray, uh, don't pay any attention, whatever, to me, muttered the astronomer. He moved miserably to the other end of the living room. The woman said in a low, hurried tones, Really, dear, um, Cook's upset. Um, I, I've been soothing her for hours, and honestly, I, I don't know why Red should have done it. Done what? The industrialist was more amused than otherwise. It had taken the united efforts of himself and his son months to argue his wife into using the name Red, rather than the perfectly ridiculous viewed youngster fashion name, which was his real one. She said, He's taken most of the chopped meat. He's eaten it? Well, I, I hope not. It was raw. Then what would he want it for? I haven't the slightest idea. I, I haven't seen him since breakfast. Meanwhile, Cook's just furious. She caught him vanishing out of the kitchen door, and then there was this bowl of chopped meat just about empty, and she was she was going to use it for lunch. Well, you know, Cook, she, she had to change the lunch menu, and that means she won't be worth living with for a week. You'll just have to speak to Red Deer and, and make him promise not to do things in the kitchen anymore. And it wouldn't hurt to have him apologize to Cook. Oh, come. She works for us. If we don't complain about a change in a lunch menu, why should she? Because she's the one who has double work made for her, and, and she's talking about quitting. Good cooks aren't easy to get. You, do you remember the one before her? It was a strong argument. The industrialist looked about vaguely. He said... I suppose you're right. He isn't here, I suppose. When he comes in, I'll talk to him. Oh, you'd better start. Here he comes. Red walked into the house and said cheerfully, Time for lunch, I guess. He looked from one parent to the other in quick speculation at their fixed stairs and said, Gotta clean up first, though. And he made for the other door. The industrialist said, One moment, son. Sir? Where's your little friend? Red said carelessly. Eh, he's around somewhere. We were just sort of walking, and I looked around, and he wasn't there. This was perfectly true, and Red felt on safe ground. I, I told him it was lunchtime, and I said, I, I suppose it's about lunchtime. I said, yeah. And we got to be getting back to the house, and he said, well, yeah. And I just went on, and then when I was about at that creek, I looked around, and... The astronomer interrupted the voluble story, looking up from a magazine he'd been sightlessly rummaging through. I wouldn't worry about my youngster. He's, he's quite self-reliant. Don't wait lunch for him. Lunch isn't ready in any case, doctor. The industrialist turned once more to his son. And talking about that son, the reason for it is that something happened to the ingredients. Do you have anything to say, sir? I hate to feel that I have to explain myself more fully. Why did you take the chopped meat? The chopped meat? The chopped meat. He waited patiently. Red said, Well, I was sort of... Hungry? Prompted his father. For raw meat? No, sir. I just... I I sort of needed it. For what, exactly? Red looked miserable and remained silent. The astronomer broke again. If you don't mind me putting in a, a few words, you'll remember that just after breakfast, my son came in to ask what animals ate. Oh, you're right. How stupid of me to forget. Look here, Red, did you take it for an animal pet you've got? Red recovered indignant breath. He said, You mean Slim came in here and said I had an animal, and then he came in here and said that? He just, he said I had an animal? 
No, he didn't say. He simply asked what animals ate. That's all. Now, if he promised he wouldn't tell on you, he didn't. It's your own foolishness in trying to take something without permission that gave you away. That happened to be stealing. Now, have you an animal? I asked you a direct question. Yes, sir. It was a whisper so low as hardly to be heard. All right. You'll have to get rid of it. Do you understand? Red's mother intervened. Do you mean to say you're keeping a meat-eating animal, Red? It might bite you and give you blood poison. They're only small ones, quavered Red. They hardly budge if you touch them. They? How many do you have? Two. Where are they? The industrialist touched her arm. Don't chivy the child any further, he said in a low voice. If he says he'll get rid of them, he will, and that's punishment enough. He dismissed the matter from his mind. Short Transmissions was created by Heather Johnson Yu, produced and edited by Rachel Emerson, music by Molly Walburn, brought to you by Edgeworks Nebula. Tune in next week for the next episode of Short, Short, Short Transmissions. Transmissions. Edgeworks Nebula.